Trades with your host, John X. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the John of All Trades Podcast, episode 268. I'm your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. And on this week's show, comedy. That's right. If you know me, you know I love punk rock. You know I love wrestling. You know I love craft beer. And you know I love comedy. So anytime I'm talking about one of those four things, especially, it's going to be a really fun show. And this week's guest, I have to give a shout out to my friend Cecile. Her daughter, my youngest daughter, their little best friends, it's fantastic. And when you meet new parents who you connect with, who you're pals with, who you go, finally, some other parents who make sense out there, who aren't like dumb, uptight, dorky squares, fantastic, bonus, and double bonus, because she sent me this week's guest. It's Christy Bukley. And Christy Bukley, I've been following for a while now. Never had the chance to talk to her, never met her, but... Loved what she did on the Empty Girlfriend podcast, rest in peace. Love what she did with the Pussy Bros. Amazing name, by the way. Comedy group, three women, they call themselves the Pussy Bros. I get it immediately. It's hilarious. We talk about it on this week's show. And Cecile is good buddies with Christy. So she said, hey, would you like me to introduce you? And I go, hell yeah, I would. Are you kidding me? Christy's insanely talented, very funny. This is going to be a great chat. And lo and behold, it was. And the funniest part about this is that we don't spend most of the episode being funny. That's not necessarily what this show is. And I'm okay with that. But we spent some time talking about how do we bridge the political divide between us. She started a new podcast with her mom. Her mom is an avowed conservative. She's an avowed liberal. How do they get together and talk about the things that are going on right now? And how do you do that from a good place and engage in good faith? We also talk about teaching. She used to be a teacher, picked up a teaching gig here during COVID. And she also teaches comedy and storytelling. Now me... As a former public speaking instructor and as someone who has training as part of his overall company portfolio, I'm working with some groups right now doing some presentation training. So taking them through, what are the four components of a good introduction? How do you effectively use visual aids? How do you manage your delivery? How do you vary your tone, vary your pacing? How do you hit points, enhance them? When do you choose to reveal information to keep your audience engaged? Those are all the basic components of joke telling and of storytelling. So our universes overlap in a way here in a really fun way. But more than anything else, I love just pointing you in the direction of things that I like, people I respect and admire, and work that's out there that brings us joy. There's so much out there that makes this world a joyless slog. And if we can shine a light a little bit more, if we can learn about each other, if we can build empathy in the world, and if we can share the things that we love, things we're passionate about, things that bring us joy, then we're doing good work. And I feel like this week's episode is emblematic of that. So that's coming up in just a second. But first, got to pay some love to our sponsor, 4Degrees, the number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. It's campaign season, as you're well aware. But what I can tell you is, no matter what you're doing, whether it's a candidate, whether it's an issue, or whether you're trying to sell a good product or service, 4Degrees is one of the most effective companies that you can engage with. They will build you a website, they will help you get your message right, and then, most importantly of all, they will deploy it in the places where people will see it. 4Degrees will help you identify those folks and then create a program that engages with those folks in a meaningful way. 
There's no one out there better at what they do. I've been doing this show for six and a half years, and I continue to be impressed by Four Degrees, who has been with me from the get-go. I'm proud to have them as my sponsor. I'm proud of the work they do. And if you need help engaging a community or doing anything in the digital realm, whether that is online advertising, social media marketing, building a website, or just getting your message out there effectively, Four Degrees can help you do it better. The number four, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. Be sure to check out the show notes so whether you're listening on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or any other platform, you can see a list of all the gigs Christy has coming up and all the ways you can engage with her. That's also available on the companion blog piece. That's johnofalltrades.us, J-O-N of alltrades.us. And as long as you're on your podcatcher, whichever platform you're on, hey, take a second, leave me a rating, leave me a review. Hit that subscribe button. Brand new episodes will come directly to you. Those are all very minor, easy things you can do to help the show. I appreciate you very much for listening and for taking that extra step and doing that for me real quick. So let's get on with episode 268. It's Christy Bukley, hilarious Denver-based comedian, teacher, podcaster. You're going to love this episode, and it starts right now. It's like a whole level of like, right, like comedy writing that I just love because it's like nostalgia. They're playing on nostalgia. They're also like flipping the script on like who's the bad guy, who's the good guy, and then it's also like got some corniness to it, obviously, and but also like really serious. I'm like, man, they're like doing all this stuff. Like I love it, dude. They are crushing it so hard, and. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife was skeptical about it. I've already watched it once. I bought it on DVD before it was even on uh, Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't seen it, right. but I'm like, I love the Karate Kid so much that I just I have to. And <laughs> I, she's like, okay, I'll give it a shot. And now she's sucked in. We're getting ready to watch the last episode of season two, and I don't think she's ready for it. Oh, she's not. She's no. not ready emotionally. I'm just like, oh man, the fact the the fact that they would leave us like that. I mean. It's good TV, but I'm just still like, dang it. Like, what? I know. And, t- and 2021 still feels far away, even more so because this year has been endless. And yes. it's it's been excruciating. But uh, how are you coping with it? How are you doing? Man, I'm okay. When everything closed down initially, man, it was a hard... That from March to May was a really dark yeah. time. I was like thinking maybe comedy would never be back. I was thinking like we're screwed forever. I was like, I worked so hard to get here. Like I had just become a full-time comic and like hit like this dream that I've been trying to go for in October. Yeah. So a year ago now, not even a full, cause it was at the end of October and then March 13th, it all just is gone completely just gone. And I was like, Whoa, what the can I cuss? Oh, what yeah, fuck? I was like, What the fuck? And I just remember the day that, like, the venues it was like March 13th, 14th, 15th, where it went from like no bit large sporting events, no nothing, nothing above 500, nothing above 250, nothing above 50, nothing above 10. Yeah. And like, when it hit that above 50 or above 10, I just I was literally in my room, just like crying like a baby cries like loud like, <laughs> like and my roommates were just like uh let me know if you need me to do anything 
And I just got so upset and uh, like, I was thinking, you know, I was so mad at all my family members that voted for Trump. And I just, I was just like, I, if they get COVID, that's what they deserve. I was like so mad. And I was just like, I don't even care. Like this is, everything's ruined. I was literally like, I'm heart, I was heartbroken. Yeah. So since then, um, I've had to go back into teaching a little bit. I was teaching like a pod for a while of kids that mm-hmm. were doing virtual learning and then they have gone back to school for now. So I'm done with that. Um, but my comedy classes are coming back and luckily with the nice weather, um, outdoor shows have continued and I'm hoping that Coloradans and, you know, everyone who cho- chose to live here will stick with us and come support live entertainment through the winter as much as it is, um, it could be slightly uncomfortable and cold, but you know how to dress and please come out and continue to support because that'll be tough. I mean, luckily for me, the holidays are usually always very slow. So hopefully November and December won't feel too weird for me, but I'm doing better now. Good. (laughs) Financially, I'm okay. So that's been the good part. Well, I mean, that's got to be heartbreaking. So this is Christy Bukley and we were introduced by Cecile Elliott um, who yes. has turned into one of my favorite people because our daughters are like little besties in the in class together. Aww. And it's always nice when you meet another parent who is not like totally square and lame. And, you know, yeah. C- Cecile like still loves art and does, you know, like active in the community like her and Jeff. They're just awesome. I adore them. And so she told me she was pals with you. And she's like, would you like to have her on her pod on your pod? And I go, of course. Hell Yes. Because when I started this pod, I remember uh, at the time, I think you were doing Empty Girlfriend. When did that end? That ended probably, I don't know, three years ago now. Okay. Yeah, it's been a while. And Um, when did you start that? Do you remember? uh, It would have been 2000 and probably 2014. Okay. That was the same year that I started my show. Yeah. And so, like, there's a podcast super fan out there. Do you know Marcelo? Yes, okay. I do know Marcelo. Everyone who like has a pod in Denver knows Marcelo because he was always yes. so good about listening and like he created like a little bracket. I remember it was like a March Madness bracket. And I'd always see you guys on there. It was like changing Denver, it was me, it was you know, like South Stands and Werewolf Radar yeah. and Yeah. Um Discover Weekly and all those shows. And so I listened to your show and it used to just inspire me with insane jealousy. well thank you because Uh, it was so good and so funny and just like and like it had heart to it i adored it thank you i mean i really love doing it um i think it was just something we kind of outgrew just as people i i think for i mean i do think i was the biggest drive like Haley was always like in a relationship and not terrible at it whereas me (laughs) i was like studying love like a robot would just trying to be like, how do humans do it? Uh, and so, but it be- became something that was less my focus. I don't know if sure. it was just because I got into my thirties and like, it just wasn't so much, but it just wasn't like something that I was so obsessed with or enamored with. I was very like, I mean, it like finding a partner is still something I want, but it's not overtaking my life like it was in my twenties probably. Sure. So I think that's part of it. And then just like, working relationships change and people change and stuff. And so it's, uh, Haley is one of the best. She's one of the goofiest people I've ever come across in my whole life. 
Yeah. Uh, so definitely give it a listen or give any other pro- project she has a listen for sure. So, totally. um, but yeah, it was just like time we hit right around a hundred episodes and I think it was just time for us to sort of go different directions on it. But I love that project. I pay every month to keep it so that people can listen to it. And, um, I'm always happy when I get to go back and listen to stuff for sure. It's cool too. Like I've tried to quit this show, uh, I don't know how many times now, but <laughs> apparently it's not, it's not time for me yet because I keep coming back to it and like something will happen. And I'll be like, no, I got to keep doing this show. Like I yeah. love, I love this show. I just have to keep doing it. But I, like, I totally recognize when it's time. I started a website years ago where I'm like, I just don't want to do this anymore. This is not yeah. my primary focus. I yeah. get it. I, so. Well, it was just hard. Like Haley was in LA at the time too. So like finding that time to record like with our schedules, just, just so tough. Plus our guest, it was just, it was, it was tough to do. So dude, um, people who don't have a podcast don't know what a nightmare it is to coordinate, especially if you have guests. It is. It is. It makes you want to have a format. That's just like you talking, but then you're like, I'm not interesting enough to carry this by myself. (laughs) And like even people like, you know, Joe Rogan, who I certainly have very, very mixed opinions on does that like five days a week. And it's like, how are you not out of takes? I mean, well, I could always talk like the actual recording of it is fine. It's like, if I had somebody to edit, if I had somebody to do that part of it, uh, or like schedule the release and like promote it. Like, man, I would be podcasting so hard. I love actually the recording of it. It's just like the other stuff that I'm just yeah. like, uh, so I can see how Joe Rogan does it because that's a good he point. Do all the annoying stuff. He just shows up and is like, Hey, I'm Joe and starts talking. Yeah. He doesn't he love talking. So <laughs> look at me. I'm talking over you. Okay. Go ahead. It's true. It's all the other bullshit that weighs you down because it's endless. You're, you're right. I mean, it's the scheduling, it's the editing, it's the release. Like I need to hustle my show more, but by the time I'm like done with it, that's like the last thing I do. And I'm like, I'm, I'm over this. Like people will find it or they won't. Um, and yeah. I'm sure changing myself. A and little I'm bit notorious there. of like, I don't even edit. Like I don't even take time to do that part unless it's like a sound issue or like literally I've been, if I'm incriminating somebody, I'll take that out. But like with empty <laughs> girlfriend, we had a pretty hard fast rule that we don't listen back and we don't edit out because it did create like the vulnerability that we were able to do. And me and Haley are really good about like just short term memory. So like once you record, you're like, that's done. And I don't even remember what I said. It's not that I didn't mean what I said when I said it. It's just like, right. I don't want to think about all the things I've admitted or told people on that podcast. Like, <laughs> Totally. Uh, and it worked for us. People would come and they'd be like, man, I feel like I know you. I feel like you're like my best friend, even though we've never talked before. And I loved having that. And I just, I also love interviewing people and talking to them and being able, that was such a format that you could get right into it. Like I'm somebody who kind of hates, I hate small talk. I hate it so much. And so I'm just like, you know, I just want to zoom right in and be like, who hurt you? Like, you know, I just want to know. Right. It's like, let's talk <laughs> about some real shit. You know, yeah. we don't, yeah. let's, let's go past all the surface level nonsense and let's connect as real people. I'm totally with yeah, you on that. So, mm-hmm. so I liked that podcast for that reason. I'm doing a podcast right now. I was just going to uh, ask you about it because you yeah. mentioned uh, wishing ill will on your Trump voting family. And yes. it's it's interesting because that's kind of the thrust of your new show, not the ill will part. But no. but yeah, tell me about that. 
So the new project, which is just going to be a short run through the election, because you can only work with your mother for so long on creative <laughs> endeavors. But Go um, on. That sounds crazy. Yeah. It's a project called Anna Truth. My mom, uh, she is a conservative. She voted for Trump, although she says she's not a Trump supporter. And I still am like, please explain how those are different. Uh, like how you could vote for him, but not be a supporter. I'm like, no, you did it. You did the thing. But anyways, you know what, uh, Christy, though, would... you know, what's funny about that is I had a pod with an academic who wrote a book about Trump and yeah. he, he actually makes a distinction between Trump voters and Trump supporters. And yeah. so that is not that foreign a concept to me. And I know quite yeah. a, quite a few, I would call them Trump voters, but not, not necessarily Trump supporters. They're not yeah. fully drinking the Kool-Aid, but they're sort of I, they they have a high tolerance level yeah. for a lot of Trump yeah. and Trumpism as sure. a means to an end, which is something. And I, I I do understand that, but I'll, at the end of the day, you did the thing that put him in office, so there's no you you own matter. it, right? You yeah. yeah, you own it, and you own all of it. You own every inch yeah. of it. Yep, that's how I feel. So, um, so my mom's a conservative. She's also a Christian. First and foremost, she's a Christian. She said. That the first like three seconds of the sure. podcast, and I'm like, whoa, coming out the gate, real hot. Uh, but right so we um, we ha- go through and talk about the news sources and what the news is telling us about these current events and the things that we're pulling because she's pulling from the right and unfortunately Fox News, and we uh, are pulling and I pull from mostly NPR but other left leaning stuff. And she's always like, oh, the media is liberal. And it's just like, well, that's because they're telling the truth. Um, <laughs> not all of them. But like, and I even asked because I was trying to find a right-leaning like fact checker for the debate, and I couldn't find one. And I, and it's, it's interesting to go into this podcast and have those questions like, why do you think there are no right-leaning fact checkers? And she has to be like, I don't know. And it's like, okay, well, think about that. Hmm. So... Um, so it's interesting. It's me because I really wouldn't talk to Republicans very much um, unless it's my family. So we thought, hey, let's do it. We've gotten pretty good at doing it respectfully. Um, so we just thought maybe it could be a good model for people and cathartic and what have you. So um, most days I do walk away from that podcast feeling just frustrated. But I think it's a relatable feeling that a lot of people have right now. So hopefully they're enjoying it. Yeah, I was going to ask you, I mean, you, you mentioned you walk away frustrated, but, you know, I was going to ask you, like, do your points of view evolve or are, do you feel like you're, you're kind of, you know, playing basketball on an eight foot hoop here, you know, because like yeah. so, some of the stuff is pretty easily debunked. Like when, when you talk, my, my mom, my own mom said to me, you know, like, do you trust the media? And I go, you, you need to define what media means, you know, mm-hmm. because like, this sort of broad brush painting of the media is really frustrating to me because are you talking about local journalism or are you talking about cable news? Those are two very yeah. different things. Like if yeah. you're a reporter for the Colorado sun, you're it's different than being a talking head on CNN or something. Yeah. And yeah. so like when you say the media is untrustworthy, I, I need you to be more specific. And I'm like, this is just straight out yeah. of the president and out of the Fox News playbook where you're sort of demonizing a large group of people without defining them properly. Right. When we do pull news sources, we use a, a company that's actually, it's actually Colorado based, but it's a new, it, they rate the news basically for 
reliability and also bias. Um, and it's called ad pharmacist media. And so I try to keep only sources that are the highest on the scale of reliability, as well as not too far left or right. So the highest ones are just for anybody else's, uh, if you're, uh, wondering is the associated press NPR and the New York times are generally like the highest as far as relatability, yeah, highest reliability, cred- uh, highest credibility. Yeah. Closest to the center. Yes. So I try to pull from those. My mom still has a really hard time pulling, not going to other news sources that aren't Fox news because she's like, well, I like it. And I'm like, yeah, cause they tell you what you want to hear, but like, it's not reliable. It's not a full, picture we've been working on that and i think she's gotten better and i've gotten better about being able to even hear republican point of views because i was like i was just like nope i can't even hear it you know so like uh not that i'm conceding that i agree or that i'm like changing my views but i'm at least practicing and getting better at being able to hear it again as opposing as opposed to like shutting down and and things like that so and people have done really good like the biggest concern we've been throwing this idea around for long. And the biggest concern was I have so many Facebook friends, a just more than her in general. I'm a public person, you know? And then a lot of mine are like even more liberal and progressive than I am. Right. Like, you know, there's no Trump should die. Trump should go to prison type people. And so I was like, please be nice to my mom. Like, just don't. (laughs) She's not a podcaster. You can say whatever you want about me. I'm used to it. I don't care at all. Like Mm -hmm. I don't. But like, I'm like, please be nice to my mom um, over here. That's just trying to do her best. You know, like we're all just trying to do our best. Right. So, and we're trying to engage with support. these topics like in good faith. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Right. Like that everybody is just trying to do their best and try to be trying to be the best person they know how to be. So and I don't know, it could be because people aren't listening or it could be that they're just actually being nice. But people have been good so far about being nice about it and I think it's also good because me and my mom are not like I mean I, I do have a history degree but I'm not like the most politically active of, per, of people and neither is she so we're sort of like neither one of us is an expert we're going into it just like the normal person goes into it just being like we're just trying to do our best and we don't really know what's going on but we're gonna try like that's sort of where it is so hopefully people find a little bit of like just relatability in that where they're just where we're, I mean, essentially at the end, uh, we both pull, pull out these facts and throw them at each other. And then we're just like, I don't know what the fuck is going on. <laughs> like at the end of every episode, it's like, I don't know what's the, what the hell, what the hell is happening. Although I'm not allowed to cuss. That is one rule. I'm not allowed to cuss <laughs> podcast with my mom. So, and I've gotten worked up a few times where I almost drop an F bomb and I don't like, edit my language for her when we're like talking as just people, but she's just like, my Christian friends might want to listen to this and I don't want them to have to listen to your bad language. And I was like, okay, so I have been doing really good. And I get worked up and I'm like, Oh, what the, uh, and then she'll be like, good job. You did it. <laughs> that part's a funny part of our podcast. I think. Well, it's funny. That's such a generational thing too, because yeah. I kind of emerged from uh, a pretty deep depressive state last year. And I did this podcast that was very cathartic where I just talked about like, so the only time I don't edit my show is when I do a solo episode. I just go and I just let it be because I just, I want that to appear as stream of consciousness as I can. Yeah. 
Yes. And so the way I talk and the way I think when I'm kind of going free form like that is there's a lot of profanity. My parents listened to it and like I had to meet with them and they said, you know, we're concerned about the amount of language. Maybe that's preventing you from getting work and clients and stuff. I go, uh, thank you for your concern, but that is ridiculous. People are coming out of the woodwork telling me how much they appreciated my candor here. And generationally, our parents get really, really fussy about profanity. And I don't know what that's about, but it's like, I, yeah. to me... I feel like I don't even hear it. Like, when people use it, I'm not like, ugh. Like, there's no reaction. I just don't hear it at all. Right. So. Like, I, it would be off-putting if I heard my daughter's kindergarten teacher say that. Right? Yeah. But th that's contextual. If you're listening to a podcast, I mean... Who cares? You're, it's a solitary experience, typically, when you're listening to a podcast. And right. I, I don't know. I, I don't get it. Oh, I know. It's I uh, Well, and I was worried because I wasn't ever planning on – I mean, I'm a licensed teacher, but I had made the, the choice because I – at first, when I was trying to find a teaching job and I was still trying to do comedy early in my career, I was trying to, you know, fly under the radar and not have parents or kids be able to find my tapes or – you know, going by different names or whatever. And, and then I eventually just made the choice, like, you know, go after comedy and don't. Yeah. Don't be unapologetic about it. Yep. So, but now that we're in this new world and this new situation, I had to go back. I didn't have to, but I thought this is a good opportunity um, to help and there's decent money in it. And I can use a skill set that I haven't used. And, uh, so I go back, but I, it was like, I was scared. I was like, don't Google me. Like, you know, like <laughs> right. that kind of thing. But these families, the reason I went with, I had a lot of families talking to me. And the reason I went with the ones I had was because well, the main mom that contacted me first, she used to be a waitress at, before my time, I didn't know her, but she used to be a waitress at Comedy Works. So I was oh, like, nice. okay, I can handle these people. Like, but it was, it was scary to sort of think like, oh, they could hold that stuff against me. You know, that's something that sure. hasn't been a concern for a long time. So, and I, but honestly, like if you're a person who cusses or like, that's just who you are, like you don't want to work for somebody who cares about that stuff. Right. Exactly. I mean, that so, that's, that's perfect on the nose. Yeah. Um, I was curious, how does your mom feel about you having been a part of a group called the Pussy Bros? Oh, she is fine. She's not going to, like, buy our shirt and wear it. But, <laughs> that but, would be something, wouldn't it? Yeah, she doesn't, like, talk about it, probably, but she gets it. She went to our album recording when we did that, so, although we've not released it. <laughs> <laughs> anyways uh so so she's i mean as supportive as she can she's gotten a lot like more supportive when she's realizing like this is actually paying my bills and yeah. this is like you know i'm doing okay with it like i think that that's a big thing once she saw that she was sort of like oh okay this is like for real you know i remember one time she loves hippie man she thinks he's john novasad she thinks she thinks she's yeah. she thinks he's one of the best but he really is just like a comic and he just does stand up and he lives a frugal life and you know just wants to get up and do sets and she's like one i remember one time she's like do you really want to like do you want to live like hippie man and i was like yes that's like the dream to just be able to do comedy for my, for a living and yeah like not have to do a bunch of other stuff that I don't care about or I don't love. Like, yes, that's exactly what I want. But she would never say that to me now. That was like sure. an old 
cool sort of approach to it. So she's much more open and I have not felt pressure to edit myself or to, you know, you know, hide certain jokes or whatever, you know, that's kind of the nice part about I'm pretty independent. I don't really ask my parents for anything. So they have no well, leverage. And, and, and a lot of that, <laughs> a lot of that is like a byproduct of age too. You know, as, right. as you grow up, you care less. You go, I I have to live authentically or, you know, as much like to do what I want to do. And I, you know, there's, there's a level of honor in that. And it's funny, like you describing that. (laughs) That's what we all tell ourselves. It's like when I started this podcast, people are, you know, like I, I'm a PR professional, like Mm -hmm. by trade. They're like, you know, what's your ultimate kind of client? What do you want to do? I'm like, I would get rid of all this PR shit if I could. Yeah. And I would just podcast like for a living. I would, you know, come up with shows and now that's part of my actual business. And so it feels to me like that moment in Wayne's world when Rob Lowe hands him like the $5,000 check and he goes, it sounds like you were just going to pay me for doing Wayne's world. And yeah. like when, <laughs> when you're doing what you want to do, that's what it feels like. I was doing this anyway and I'm going to be yeah. doing this anyway and now I'm getting paid for it amazing yeah. like what, a, yeah. what I, I mean how many years did i work for almost nothing to just right begging for stage time and how many years was that oh five or six probably yeah. i definitely wasn't making enough with stand-up when i lost my last like real day job and i was you know house sitting i was doing whatever i could to pull in little odds and ends and make um make it work i definitely wasn't making you know enough with stand-up I was, you know, it's always been like, I'll step away from the uh, day job, work less and less of a day job, the more and more stand-up comes in. I was very lucky to have a friend of mine who gave me a office manager position at his landscape company. I was terrible. It was data entry, <laughs> and I swear I'm like ADD, and I can't, like, it was not hard math, and it would still be wrong every time. And I'm like, I think I have a learning. I literally, like, as an adult, walked away going, I actually think I have a learning disability that I never, like... <laughs> Something undiagnosed. Because it was so... I would make just the easiest, dumbest mistakes constantly. Right. Um, but he he always, like, kept me on the job and, you know, let me be really flexible with comedy. And I was very lucky. Um, so that, that kind of held me over until my gigs were enough. And then this teaching comedy came along and that's gone just really well. Um, other than COVID it's, but it's been awesome. And I, and I, I actually love it. So it's kind of nice to bring in what I was trained to do to be a teacher um, with my degree. And now I'm teaching this thing that I just absolutely love and could think it could help everybody, you know? So 100%. It it reminds me of, I took classes at the bovine metropolis Mm -hmm. and they would do like corporate gigs because there are principles of improv and, you know, like, how do you structure a scene? How do you, how do you listen better? How do you respond? How do you be present? There, there are right. so many things that you can take away. And it's so cool that like you're teaching comedy. Like what, what types of people come in? Are these people who aspire to be professional comics or are they I have the others? Full gamut. full gamut. So there's the person who really wants to do stand up. There's the person that's like a business person that just wants to get out of their shell. There's people who are like, I don't like my regular day job. I just want to have something that I do for fun. And this sounded good. I want to do bucket list. I want to do something that scares me. You know, I've taught everybody from 18 years old to 88 years old. I've had like, wow. old, like old 
older people um, come and, and they get into it and then they start going to open mics and they're doing it. Like, I love it. So, and there's just so like, it's, so it'll go any which direction, you know, moms, people who are getting a divorce and sort of just want to feel more powerful people who just want to like, they really do want to do comedy, but they just want to make sure they're like doing it right. And they want to hit the ground running a little bit more and stuff. So, you know, in my level one, I, I mean, I come prepared to teach any level of those, those people. For sure. sure. You know, it's, it's interesting because another part of my job, one that I really like, I used to teach public speaking at CSU and people always come in very nervous. Like people hate public speaking mm -hmm. and comedy is like adding a, a degree of difficulty above that and complexity yeah. because with regular public speaking, you just have to be like informative or have it. A, well, but it, now you have to make them laugh. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and, and it kind of depends on what your goal here is. Sometimes you're trying to persuade. Sometimes you're trying to tell a story. Sometimes, you know, there, there's all these different things, but I always tell people, and I want to see like how much you identify with this. I suspect a lot. I tell people, I'm like, look, I don't have a template for what a great public speaker looks like. All I'm here to do is help the best version of you emerge. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I imagine you've got people coming in just doing almost like reheated Mitch Hedberg one-liners. Or... Yeah, there's a ton of stuff. There's people. I mean, I always ask them, who's your favorite comedian? That way I can kind of tell what sort you of... You know what's coming. <laughs> like person they're like every dude that's just like i love jeselnik he's Jewish. Oh, like, jesus okay. uh, and jeselnik no, but... like jeselnik's writing is so good and so specific to that persona yes yeah but like no one else can do that no and you have to be a headliner you can't be the host of a show with that type like with that type of material that type of comedy it just doesn't work um, and also, if you've ever sat and watched Jesselnik for longer than 20 minutes, like, that cadence is exhausting. You're like, I don't want to listen to this. Dude, I tried to watch his special because, like, I'll, I'll catch him on, like, I have satellite radio and there's, like, Comedy Central radio and there's Netflix as a joke radio. And Jesselnik is perfect in, like, those three-minute bites. Yeah. But you're right. I tried to watch this whole special and I'm like, okay, I got to turn this off. Like, this is just. Like, it's just a formula and you're like, okay, I got it. Like yeah. what shocking turn is there going to be? And and you it. and you start trying to ferret it out as as a viewer, and yeah. like that that takes me kind of out of the experience, you know, compared yeah. to someone like I don't know John Mulaney, who's like taking me on this journey and like varying his tone and varying. And he his shows pace. you who he is. Exactly. Like that's the thing with one liner people is like there's no vulnerability in it. You don't walk off stage. Or the when the comic walks off stage, you don't feel like you know who they are or know right. them better. And I just don't think that's the way. That's not the kind of comedy I like. So that's not what I teach. I always tell them if you have it, if you have the writing ability to do that, go for it. Like, but I'm not here. That's not what I'm gonna teach you. But yeah, I always. Uh, oh, I forget what the original question was. Anyways, doesn't matter. <laughs> well, it's. I don't think I had a question. Um, but what I'll, uh, what I will ask you is like, what types of lessons or exercises do you do when you teach comedy? Because I know some of the things I do for public speaking and I always try and keep them on their toes because if you can master that, if you can think on your feet, you will be a good public speaker in any context. Right. Now, when it comes to teaching comedy, you know, are you doing writing exercises? Are you doing improv exercises? Like, how do you structure different yeah, types of lessons? I don't have a lot of improv training. Um, I've done it a little bit through Voodoo because it's part of my benefit as a teacher. I can take the classes. But every time there was an improv show, 
I had a comedy show, so I couldn't sure. actually ever perform. So that's why I kind of stopped taking the classes. And it also just isn't for me, like relying on other people, which is probably why I should take it, right? <laughs> this is short for me, trusting other people and and listening to them and, and, you know, being open to what they're saying is probably a skill I probably need to practice more. But I'm like, I don't like that feeling of, uh, and I also was in love. It's hard to get past those first couple levels when you have a lot of stage time and experience and yeah. stuff. And it's just like, these people have never talked in public. So that was hard for me to get through. But so I don't do a lot of improv stuff. Sure. I don't myself do a lot of crowd work. I think it's a really advanced move. And I will probably teach it when I get to higher levels of, of my class. But in the beginning, I actually just try to to have them structure their set so that they're not opening themselves up to having a heckler or anything like that. So that's part of it. A lot of it is writing. Most of it is, is actually a practice in vulnerability because showing somebody what you think is funny through your own experiences. I can't think of a more vulnerable thing. (laughs) Like I really can't. Uh, so we talk about that a lot and have people really exploring their stories for the relatable viewpoints that they have, but the unique perspective that they can bring to those things. So it's a lot of writing exercises up top and then just sharing with each other within the class. And I think that that's already like a big thing for them, like to actually be sharing of themselves to people. And then it gets more and more to the stage. Um, but we really talk about structure so that that's a big part of my class is like, if you want, like, I think I spent a lot of time early on in comedy trying, not really understanding what made the jokes funny. Like I could do it, but because I didn't understand what was making it funny and why it was working, it was so much time between jokes that I actually had a good joke. Like, so this will hopefully cut down on their, you know, looking for the light switch in a dark room so they understand how to structure the joke that way they can not don't have to worry about that writing piece of it so much like the writing setup but they can actually focus on that you know i always tell them you know the first six months of stand-up really is just you getting used to that physiological response you have when you get on stage and you're like because <laughs> you can't even really think about the writing no and all of the performance until you get that under control, right? So I try, I think it's that I try to get the, them understanding the writing part of it so that that is kind of not the main concern. They're so concerned about what's funny and how, how to be funny and the words that they can't think of about the other stuff. Hopefully I'm making the words easier so that they can think about the other stuff a little bit sooner. Um, and then we just talk about fear. And like just the idea of putting stuff into the world. And that's really the only way you can know whether the joke works. Right. So I always use like a a scientific method, the scientific method as sort of like a framework for the way that you like design your jokes and you approach your comedy. So you ask yourself a question, which is like, the scientific question is on near that. And then you have an, your premise is your hypothesis. You throw your premise up there. You run your experiment, which is the rest of your joke. And either that hypothesis is correct and the joke lands or it's not correct. And now you have more information. Let's go back for the new hypothesis. Right. And I just like have them thinking of like, as soon as you put this out there, you joke out there, like, 
it's not putting anything out there public speaking wise isn't a like you sh- if they don't like what you say or they didn't laugh at your joke it doesn't mean you're not like allowed to like yourself <laughs> you know it's right. just like they just didn't like that joke and that's still a funny idea you just haven't found the right way to tell it you know, so like, don't beat yourself up. Don't get in your head. Just come back and be like, okay, the way I wrote it that way didn't work. How do I change it to make it work? And so it's really disconnecting your ego from the material a lot so that it doesn't impact you in that way so hard. Um, that's a big part of it. That's a really clever way of, of putting it out there. It's it's the scientific method. Yeah, you're testing hypotheses all the time. And then you go back and tinker with the formula until you get it right. And I, I'm working with a group of folks right now, this professional group, and she was telling us this story about, like, one of the participants was telling this story about, you know, before she had kids, everyone was like, get in all the stuff you want to do now. Yeah. Like, do do what you need to do and all that. And she's saying all this while behind her, the PowerPoint says, take your kids with you. And I, I said to her, I'm like, you were building this up nicely, and I kind of knew where you were going, but you telegraphed the ending with your with your visual slide here like have that be blank as you're setting this up and then you hit them with the right hook so it's like how and when you are revealing bits of information that are going to make your story more effective and like this one wasn't even funny like but the same basic structure applies to a joke as it does to a good story you're you're kind of Mm -hmm. Building expectations, building expectations, and then either paying them off or subverting them. And yeah. like yeah. that that's how you become an effective public speaker. You need to take people with you yeah. once yeah. you get them to we where you want them. About how the fourth wall is not there and you're having a conversation with your audience. And then when the fourth wall goes up and you're taking them into the moment of the story or of the joke or whatever, we talk about that. Yeah. Uh, a whole lot. I just started teaching storytelling as well, like moth style storytelling at um, Rise Theater as well. So I've I've done a lot of storytelling, but again, I haven't like studied it in order enough to like explain it to other people until now. And seeing the the parallels for sure is like so super interesting. I'm always like bringing up my my like the things I've talked about in my comedy classes, and then I'm like, you guys don't care. You're not here to be comedian, <laughs> but I. I always find it so fascinating. So. No, but I I think the lessons apply. And I mean comedy as you've as we've already articulated has a much higher degree of difficulty than even telling a good story. If if you're telling a good dramatic story, your audience if you're speaking live, you you, you can't exactly read them. You know, yeah. uh, unless it's sort of overt uh, emotion like someone's crying or someone yeah. you know gasps or something, they could just yeah. be paying very polite close attention. But that doesn't make the structure necessarily different in terms of some of the rhythms that you're doing when you're telling a joke versus when you're telling a different kind of story. So I think you're right. Yeah. No. uh, I have a lot of people, like I have somebody right now that's coming in, they've done Toastmasters stuff, and they really just have struggled at putting the humor into their motivational speeches and stuff like that. So like that's the type of stuff we're working on and everything. And, yep, it's it's interesting trying to plug my comedy – stuff into their different projects because it's not always stand-ups for yeah. sure i tell people i'm like look whether you're giving a ted talk or whether you are sitting in some executive's office with maybe you and one other person there are elements here that are going to be universal in terms of the way that you approach what you're trying to do remember what your goal is 
and center everything around that. Like build it out from there. It starts with this hub and all the spokes will come out from the goal that you are trying to have or the goal that you are trying to achieve. And so you got any good public speaking books I should read? You know, it's, it's funny. I'm not huge on like, I should be better about this. As you said, like I should read up on this more, but a lot of this is just from years of experience, kind of like you Yeah. in that, you know, I've watched, I calculated this recently. I've done so many of these. I think I've heard over 3000 between two and probably 20 minute speeches in my life. Yeah. And when you listen to that many, you will sort of pick up like, you know, the things that work and the things that don't and why they do and why they don't. And so like, I have some basic kind of curriculum that I'll take people through, but mostly I want to listen to them and then help them like individually because like they all send me my, their jokes. My students all send me their specific jokes. Cause I'm like, I can't really do it in a blanket a and every performer can make something work that another one doesn't like some of my students can do stuff that I can't do. Like they have a level of silliness or they're really good at, I'm not good at like voices and you know, that kind of thing. Sure. I have some students who are good at that stuff that I'm not good at, but I have gotten very good at, um, I can look at a set and tell you exactly what's wrong, like what, why it's not working sure, or why it is working. I can tell you, I, I see it. It's almost like a, it looks almost like an equation that I'm looking at in the air <laughs> and it's really hard to teach. It is hard to teach that stuff for sure. So no, absolutely. And so like I can tell, you know, there are people who will get up there and I'm like, what you have in spades is warmth and sincerity. Like, mm-hmm. not everyone has that, you know? Like, some people get up there, they're very theatrical, you know, and, and you want to play that. Other people are more subdued, and you want to help draw that out and optimize that. It, it's unique to a person, which is yeah. what makes teaching and sort of mentoring people just so fun and so rewarding because you watch this best version of themselves emerge. It's terrific. I know. It's so good. And they feel so happy. Like, I've had some people just amazing transformations and then also just like family members you know remember one time one of my students who is older my students older than me so her mom is like way older she came up just bawling and she's just like you helped my daughter find her voice more than I ever did in 35 years and it was so cute and now I have like a group of women uh I really you know not that men don't deserve encouragement but they get enough of it uh, <laughs> I, I would say I have, society's been weighted toward men for yeah, a very very yeah, long they time it. they're fine um but i do have a group of women that are like they get still get together and they write and then you know work on stuff and throw notes back and forth and it's like a whole when i started comedy in denver there was like five of us females total and we were felt it was like an uh a situation where they felt competitive with you. We felt competitive ah, with each sure. other rather than supportive of each other. So it's been really cool to help foster this other environment and other, yeah, just climate really for them to be supporting each other. They send each other, you know, their full jokes and everybody just throws ideas back and forth and, and they're getting booked even during this tough time. Like I've had Jeez. a few students, you know, they barely had started and really they're only six months in because of the big break and everything. And they did three months of comedy before this. And now they're starting three months after, um, cause open mics are really just starting come start coming back, yeah. but I'm starting to get feedback from other comics in the scene that are just like, man, these 
like if people come out of your class, man, they are like ahead of it. Cause I had a student get off stage the other night and somebody come up to them and they go, where'd you move from? Cause they just assumed <laughs> they comedy for much longer and they just yeah. moved here. And that's always just the biggest compliment that totally. like, and it makes me feel so good that they're being set up for like success and getting booked already. And I love that. I want to see them, you know, getting, but I want them to be giving me a run for my money. You know, I, that only makes me a better comic. Right. Totally. So that I love that part well, of it. And they're, they're doing awesome. It, it reminds me of something I heard Pat Oswald say one time, he said, there are people who, when they get up to the top or the club or whatever level of success that, that they want to get, there are people who will like try and slam the door behind them and make sure no one else gets in. This is our room. Now we get this. Yeah. Don't it's a zero sum game. You know, if you're getting booked, that means I'm not getting booked. Right. And then there are people who are like, no, I just want to bring good people up. There's enough for all of us here. Like everyone can yeah. have some success here. So like, you know, I reach my hand down, like here, come join me in this yeah. club. Like let's, let's all be yeah. in here together, which I think is, that's how I live my life. And it it's sounds like you're the mindset. same. It's an abundance there. It's a, it's a mindset of abundance rather than scarcity. Right. So exactly. I've had to train my brain because that was definitely where I used to be, where I was just like, Oh, if she's getting something I'm not getting. That means I didn't get it or I wasn't good enough to get it. Or, and I still have to fight myself on those like thought patterns, but and one of the books that really helped me with that is actually You Are a Badass at Making Money by Jen Sincero. She, it's about money in the flow, but it. My wife has read this book too. It's so good. It really does like um, show that if you're putting energy out to people, it will just come back around to you. And I have found nothing but that to be the case since I've sort of adopted and changed my mindset on that stuff. So that even comes back to the coronavirus now of like when I came out of college and there was, you know, a great depression going on. And at that time I was just like, I was terrified and I took like a terrible job that made me so miserable just to have that money so that I, you know, so that I could hoard money and not feel, you know, have the secure job or whatever. And now we're in this other global crisis. I'm not like, clamoring to go back to like this secure job. Um, and I'm just like trusting that I put enough energy out that if I need something, it's going to come back to me. And it's been such a better, like just mentally such a better world to live in. And it really is just a perspective shift. I love doing that for these girls. Cause you know, one of these days, one of these girls could be Amy Schumer. And then I'm like, thank God I, <laughs> You know, she's going to take me to open for her and then I'll have work for like six, <laughs> you know, like I yeah. just like, you know, it will come back to it and it, you don't have to think of it as giving it away. Like I, every time I give money to like a charity or I give or I help somebody or give somebody something, I don't even feel, it doesn't feel like altruistic. So in my mind, I'm still just like, this will come back. Like it'll come back times 10. And I'm like super excited to see what that looks like. So I'm not, don't look at it as I'm like this, like goody two shoes. That's like, I just want to help people like, no, like it'll come back to me. And that's, but that's awesome. That's like, it, it almost is like, feels like an act of rebellion during this Trump time because they're so like, we got to protect what's ours. We got to win. We got to be the winner. Everyone else is the loser as long as we're the winner. And like, if we're not the best, then we're losers. And it's just like, it's like, it's exhausting. Live, yeah. And to not live with that 
thing and we're like, we got to protect America. We got to keep people out and we got to make sure that they're not a drain on us and that we can't do other things for other people. We got to only help America. And it's just like, it's so the opposite of my own mindset. And it also is just, it does feel like an act of rebellion just to live your life different than that. Well, and so- I don't need to be the winner. I don't need to be the best. I don't. I just need to be like a good person. Yeah, I, 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 I just like to find some happiness, some satisfaction, and some fulfillment. Yeah. I mean, yeah. like beyond that, this all this like – and I mean I'm, I'm using this gendered term specifically. All this dick measuring yeah. is so fucking pointless and just exhausting. And it's like why? Like what purpose yeah. are we serving? Um, I've literally never heard somebody talk about winning so much and I'm just like – no shit, right? Where did this come from? Like, I've never in my life been like winner, loser. And maybe it's our like everybody gets participation trophy, but it isn't like that. There's plenty of times in comedy where they'll let you know when you're the worst one and they'll let you know when you're the best one. Life does that enough. Like, we don't as people need to be doling out those decisions, you know? Totally. So just like. So you get it. I, I, I very much get it. And I'm 100% on the same page with you, which is probably one of the reasons like I have connected with the work that you do. Because like when you find someone who has kind of a similar mindset to you, you go, yeah, okay, no, this is good. Like this is someone that I want to connect with. And I, I have to tell you this because I got to jump here in a bit. I know we got to wrap up. But the first time I heard the name The Pussy Bros... I go, oh my god! Like, who are these like misogynist du- dipshits? You know, oh, like, yeah. and so then, like, I, I read the next sentence down. I go, oh my god, this is women. Oh yeah. shit, no, this is funny. I get it immediately. Like, I know exactly oh. what they're doing, and I am so on board. And so, what a playing on. I mean, the groups. I actually thought of. I mean, I thought of that name. Uh, don't really know why, other than I do love cats so much. <laughs> uh, and but I also like. There was groups before us, like the Grawlicks and the Fine Gentlemen's Club, that were all men. And it was always assumed, and men, like, always bound together and looked out for each other and lifted each other up. Um, and women weren't doing that. But I just wanted, but it sort of was just, like, me wanting to play on this boys club thing that they were doing. Because I was like, we can do this, like, as women, and it can be even more powerful and more useful. Totally. Like they don't even need to help each other out, and yet they still do. It's like, we need to learn that skill, you know? And it's hard. I've seen – it's still hard. You know, I've seen Janae, a member of my group, She she's gotten some things that I haven't gotten, and it's been like, poof. Like, I definitely have, like, jealous little sister – feelings like i feel like i'm looking at my older sister just like why do you always get stuff and i do have to check myself it's not a perfect system you know what i mean so um it takes active practicing to have this sort of mindset of support and abundance but it's well worth it and it does come back to you for sure it'll pay off 100 percent um one thing we I, i just want to underline here um because it's been implicit because we haven't spent much time talking about your actual comedy is that your comedy is fucking great and really, really funny. Um, and so for anyone who hasn't seen it, like obviously they can Google you right now, but this is the time on the show when we do plugs. Where can yes. people find you? Where can they get in touch sure. with you? Where can they see your stuff? Whatever you want to plug, when it's all yours. coming out? Uh, yeah, this will be out a week from yesterday. So what is that, the 14th? Cool. 
a great place to kind of see a lot of what we've talked about is uh, 1017 at Outworld Brewing in Longmont. I am headlining that show, but everyone opening is one of my students. So nice. they come see in there. So, and it's all those women that I, I'm just loving what they're doing and they're approaching comedy in a new supportive way that I love. And I'm not even saying that I built it. I'm saying that they did it on their own and I'm just so happy to support that. So you could come to Outworlds. Otherwise you can check out, I, uh, at Kabuksy, uh, C-A-B-U-C-H-S-Y. That's my, um, Instagram. I try to post shows on there. Um, and then another big event that I'm doing um, this month is Sticker Treat, which is on Halloween. If you don't have anything to do on Halloween, it's at Denver Central Market. And it should be, it's an open space, a lot of room so that we can have an audience plus all the performers and do it safely. But Sticker Treat is a show um, that we brought here from L.A., uh, me and Sam Talent do it, and it's where all comics do two minutes as other more famous comedians. <laughs> so they're all dressed up and they're sort of doing an homage parody set of those comedians. And so, I'm, I'm assuming you want to keep that one close to the vest right now because uh, we're... Yeah, I don't know. If anyone has any ideas on who I should be, uh, I've been Jeff Foxworthy oh, two Jesus. years ago and then last year I was Russell Brand. Oh my. Um, so <laughs> now I have to think of somebody new. Um, to be, and I'll just have a bunch of awesome Denver comics coming and being silly. And again, it's on Halloween. We don't have the same, uh, you know, we can't go to the bars and club the same way. So come out and have fun with us and, and, uh, we'll see you. And it's free this year because of it being outdoors. So yeah. Come and enjoy that. All of that will be linked in the companion blog piece on John of all trades.us. That's J O N of all trades.us. Also in the show notes. So if you're listening on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your pods, you can find it there. Christy Bukley, man, I'm so happy we met. I'm glad we got to do this chat. I know. You, yes, you, <laughs> you are a delight, a ray of sunshine, and I wish you continued success. All right. Thank you so much, John. Have a wonderful day, everybody. Bye. And that'll do it for episode 268 of the John of All Trades podcast with Christy Bukley. Man, what a fun chat. What a great comic. Always love connecting with people, making good stuff in the world. Christy certainly does that. Be sure to stay up with her. You can find all the links in the show notes, iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or any of a billion other podcatchers. JohnofAllTrades.us is where the companion blog piece is. That's another good way of doing it. The John of All Trades podcast is a production of Deft Communications. Check out Deft on the web, D-E-F-T-C-O-M.us. Training, content, engagement, and podcasting. You heard me mention training in the intro. That's right. I do public speaking training and presentation training for all manner of organizations. So if you need that, hit me up. I also produce three other podcasts in addition to this one. So if you need some help bringing your show to life, putting it out into the world, or producing it all together, hit me up again. The email is john at defcom.us, J-O-N at D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. Stay up with me on social media, J-O-A-T-Pod is the handle, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, and Instagram. Episode previews go up on Mondays, new episodes drop on Wednesdays. I'm out of here for this week, and I may or may not be back next week. I'm not sure yet. I'm headed out of town. We're going to go for it. Me and the wife, we're going to abscond for a very brief time. 
but we'll be back next week. Not sure if the episode's going to be produced or not. So I will either hear you back here in one week or in two weeks. No matter what you're doing, stay safe. Take care of each other. I adore you all. I want you to be safe. I want to see you on the other side. So until I hear you again, say goodnight, Gracie. That's good, Johnny.